bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, December 1st, 2015. This week, six years ago, Congress announced agreement on a bill that extended the expiration date of the new market tax credit from the end of 2007 to the end of 2008. President George W. Bush signed into law the Tax Relief and Health Care Act of 2006 that same month. Moving on to this week's podcast, we'll start off with the general news section, where I'll talk about where Congress stands on trying to pass an omnibus appropriations bill for 2016. And, more importantly to a lot of our listeners, I'll provide an update on tax extender discussions. In our long-commencing tax credit section, I'll discuss HUD's risk-sharing program for small buildings and what California may do about its growing amount of state long-commencing tax credit forward commitments. In New Markets Tax Credit News, I'll tell you which entity was named the winner of the City of Five Fund's Innovation Challenge and how that entity's proposal could change the way small businesses find loans in underserved areas. Then, we'll move on to historic tax credit news. We'll talk about this year's winners of the Maine Preservation Honor Awards. And we'll close out with Renewable Energy Tax Credit News, where I'll discuss a new study on the economic potential of renewable energy and how renewable energy tax credits can play a big role in expanding that potential. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, Congress is back in session after its Thanksgiving recess, or I should say district and state work periods. Lawmakers have about a week left to pass a deal to keep the federal government funded. The current stopgap funding measure expires next Friday, December 11th. As you remember, a budget deal agreed to in October set overall spending levels for the next two years, the next two fiscal years. But Congress still needs to decide exactly how to distribute those funds. As in the past, we can't expect delays in the appropriations process over potential policy riders. The last time the government shut down over expired funding was in 2013. That was when conservatives tried to add language delaying or defunding Obamacare. And this past September, lawmakers delayed deciding on a year-long appropriations bill for fiscal year 2016. As a consequence, Congress had to settle for a continuing resolution until December 11th. Largely, I should say one of the key issues, was whether to fund Planned Parenthood. While the hot-button issue this time includes the matter of refugee resettlement programs. The November 13th terrorist attacks in Paris heightened concerns over national security, and conservatives in Congress hoped to use an omnibus appropriations bill to tighten refugee policies. Representative Brian Babin, a Republican from Texas, sent a letter urging House leaders to address the refugee issue in an omnibus appropriations bill. By the way, more than 70 congressional members co-signed the letter. Citing a threat to national security, the letter asks 
that 2016 appropriations legislation be used to restore congressional oversight over refugee resettlement programs. House Speaker Paul Ryan signals his desire to address the refugee issue independently from appropriations discussions. Speaker Ryan last month supported a bill that would require a higher level of verification from Syrian or Iraqi refugees before they are allowed into the United States. Ryan's strategy is likely an attempt to prevent the White House and congressional Democrats from accusing the GOP of forcing a shutdown over the refugee issue. Meanwhile, Congress also plans to deal with tax extenders before the end of the year. As you know, many of more than 50 temporary tax provisions expired at the end of 2014. Fortunately, as I've noted many times, there is strong bipartisan support for extending them retroactively. However, some of the main sticking points are how long the extension should be, any reforms that are needed, particularly for the earned income tax credit and the child tax credit, and whether any policy changes need to be offset with some sort of revenue. As I've reported previously, House Republican leaders want to make some of the extenders permanent. In July, the Senate Finance Committee called for a two-year extension of most extenders. While Congress may consider it separately, it's likely that the tax extenders will be part of the 2016 omnibus spending bill due December 11th or some other provision such as the Customs Bill. I'll keep you updated on the status of tax extenders on Twitter. My handle, as you know, is at Novogratic. And I will say right now, it is looking like either a one-year, a two-year, or a multi-year extension for a lot of tax provisions, followed by some being made permanent. And the range of estimated cost is... 30, 40 billion, 90 billion to 700 billion dollars. So that's a wide range, and it remains to be seen which of those options will be ultimately agreed upon by the various constituencies. Once again, follow me on Twitter at Novogratic for ongoing updates. And once we know of an actual package that is likely to be signed into law, we'll write a blog post at novogratic.wordpress.com. In affordable housing news, HUD recently issued an application notice for participation in its small building risk-sharing program. As you may know, the small building risk-sharing initiative was launched to increase the loan opportunities for smaller affordable housing multifamily properties. The initiative has HUD and qualified participating authorities share the risk of the mortgage insurance for those smaller properties. The goal is to increase and accelerate multifamily mortgage production for housing finance agencies and the Federal Housing Administration. Now again, this is for smaller properties. By smaller properties, HUD means those with loan amounts that are less than $3 million. They must have at least five units on one site. There is an exception, though, on the loan total for areas designated as high cost by HUD. In those areas, the loan amount can be as much as $5 million. All the projects must have a certain percentage of units set aside for low-income families. My partner, Susan Wilson, in our Austin, Texas office, says that this program could make a difference by adding underwriting flexibility for housing finance agencies and could lead to faster lending decisions by borrowers. Susan also points out that the risk share program has the fewest defaults or delinquencies of all FHA-enhanced loans. 
She said the program should reduce the workload at HUD as well. HUD's announcement seeks additional CDFIs, nonprofit lenders, and others to participate in the risk-sharing program as qualified participating entities. By others, I mean for-profit lenders and others approved as FHA multifamily accelerated processing lenders. The notice said that mission-based lenders can submit applications at any time. Private lenders can apply beginning January 17, 2016. The qualified participating authorities will have a 50% risk-sharing agreement with HUD to underwrite, originate, and service affordable housing loans. The announcement said that the qualified participating entities will pay all costs associated with loan default, or I should say default loan dispositions, and they'll seek reimbursement from HUD. HUD hopes to start the financing around the middle of 2016. Investors, builders, developers, public entities, and private nonprofits can apply to a qualified participating authority or its lender. To obtain the mortgage insurance, HUD says a lender should consult with a HUD-approved qualified participating authority. For more information about this program and how it could help you, contact Susan Wilson in our Austin office. In state-level news, the head of California State Allocation Agency last month invited discussion on the overallocation of California state long-income housing tax credits. If affordable rental housing developments qualify for more state credits than are available for a given year, the California Tax Allocation Committee, TCAC, draws state credits from the following year's allocation round. TCAC's Executive Director, Mark Stivers, said the process of forward commitments was not a problem in the past, but is quickly becoming one. TCAC forward committed $10 million of 2015 state and long-term tax credits last year and $30 million of 2016 state and long-term tax credits this year. Stivers called the growth unsustainable, and he outlined five ideas for reducing overallocation. The first, create a cap on state tax credits per development. Second, stop awarding credits once the state tax credit ceiling is reached. Third, rescind the authority of special needs developments in difficult development areas and qualified census tracts to get state credits. Fourth, create a supplemental set-aside and require state credit awardees to exchange their state credits or federal credits from the newly created set-aside. This option would mean reduced amounts available within the geographic set-asides. And this fifth idea is to designate additional areas as difficult development areas to reduce the demand for state credits. Stivers admitted that none of the five ideas is ideal, but of these ideas, they would likely require implementing more than one of them to stay within the state's credit authority. So he's asking for public input. Forums to discuss improving allocation strategies will be held this Thursday, December 3rd in Los Angeles, and the following Tuesday, December 8th in Oakland. If you can, I encourage you to attend, and you can find more information at www.treasure.ca.gov. In community development news, the CDFI Fund last week announced the winner of its 2015 Innovation Challenge. The winner is the Association for Enterprise Opportunity. The contest challenged applicants to find a creative way of partnering CDFIs with small businesses in economically underserved areas. The CDFI Fund hoped the Innovation Challenge would help it find a method, model, tool, or product that can be used by all CDFIs in the future. The Association for Enterprise Opportunity won a one-year contract to test its proposal. The proposal is to develop a screening and assessment tool that matches small businesses with a CDFI that can provide them with loans that would not be available 
from traditional lenders. The system's first batch of participating CDFIs include Access to Capital for Entrepreneurs from Georgia, the Intersect Fund from New Jersey, Justine Peterson from Missouri, and Lyft Fund from Texas. The CDFI fund said it would share lessons learned from the initiative in 2016. You can read more about the Innovation Challenge at www.cdfifund.gov. In historic tax credit news, Maine Preservation honored 16 historic preservation projects at its annual honor award ceremony last month. Maine Preservation is a nonprofit advocacy group that promotes historic preservation in the state. Maine Preservation's Honor Awards recognized projects that met community needs and boosted the state's economy. Among the winners in Maine, 10 of the 16 Honor Awards recipients this year were funded by the Maine Historic Preservation Tax Credit. The awards program highlights how important the state historic tax credit is in preserving Maine's historic structures. Maine Preservation said that since 2008, The State Historic Tax Credit Program has helped leverage more than $350 million in construction financing. You can find a list of this year's Maine Preservation Honor Award winners at www.mainepreservation.org. I should note, one of the winners is Unity Food Hub, a rural schoolhouse transformed into a food distribution hub. It used federal and Maine State Historic Tax Credits. And we feature Unity Food Hub in an upcoming issue of the Journal of Tax Credits, our tax credit magazine. Read more about the Food Hub and about how to make other small historic tax credit transactions work for investors in the December issue of the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits. You can start your subscription at www.novoco.com journal. In renewable energy tax credit news, I want to share a new study that could have a major impact on the renewable energy world, including the production tax credit and investment tax credit. The Energy Department's National Renewable Energy Laboratory just released a study that measures the economic potential of renewable energy across the nation. Economic impact looks at the available versus required revenue for an energy project. The report's findings? Renewable energy is economically viable in many parts of the United States due to declining technology costs. However, it points out that policies such as the production and investment tax credits could further enhance the growth of renewable energy generation projects. The report used a method that quantifies the amount of economically viable renewable generation at specific locations. This study's big change from previous measurements is that it considers costs in comparison to prevailing electricity prices. The authors recommend, or I should say they emphasized, that they examine just one method for assessing economic potential. They also wrote that this is an initial estimate and will likely be updated and refined. The report does not consider market dynamics, demand, exports, or other policy drivers that may incentivize renewable energy production. You can read the report at www.energytaxcredits.com. Simply hover over the Resources tab, click on Research Center. The study is called Estimating Renewable Energy Economic Potential in the United States, Methodology and Results. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. I invite you to join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. Also, there's still time to sign up for the Novogradic Local Housing Tax Credit Acquisition Rehabilitation Basics webinar. We're hosting it next Wednesday, December 9th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. You can learn about acquiring existing residential rental real estate and rehabbing it under the Local Housing Tax Credit Program. Again, 
The webinar will be Wednesday, December 9th, and you can sign up and up until Tuesday, December 8th. To sign up, go to www.novaco.com webinars. Well, that's it for now. This is Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company, LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.